A very warm welcome to Daily Power Parsha Holiday Edition. This is our Sukkot Edition Daily Power Parsha, but here's the catch. We're not going to talk about the holiday reading. We're not going to talk about the Sukkot reading because we did that in the context of the Torah portion when, when where that comes from, which is the, uh, the, the, re- the reading on Sukkot. talks about the offerings that are brought on the holiday and the, the number of bulls. You know, they start off with 13, and every day you bring one less bull. All right, so that's for another time, which we spoke about. What I want to do today and tomorrow is explore the final Torah portion in the Torah, which is called Vizot Habracha. And it constitutes the final message that Moses delivered to each of the tribes. He gives a blessing and a message to each of the tribes before his passing. And then we read about his final, his passing. So that, so I want to do this over the next few days. This is a Torah portion that's, that, that for whatever, well, I know why, I'll share with you why, but unfortunately it gets a little bit lost in the shuffle of all the Torah portions. Why do I say that? Because this portion is read on Simchat Torah, at the height of the celebration. And the reality is that when everybody is celebrating Simchat Torah in a very joyous uh, L'chaim mood, there's not a lot of scholarship that happens with this final Torah portion. Not, not a lot of analysis. It's read, but that's pretty much it. And then on Simchat Torah, when we read the last Torah portion, we begin and start again from the beginning. We read Bereshit, the beginning, Genesis. And then, the next, and, then, and then the next Shabbat, we're already reading uh, Bereshit from the beginning. So the last Torah portion doesn't, is never read on a Shabbat. I mean, it's not read on a, typically it's not read on a Shabbat. It's read on, well, it's, oh, if Simchat Torah were to fall out on Shabbat, which I'm not sure if it can, but that's the only time you would read it, theoretically on Shabbat, but it's only read on Simchat Torah. So therefore, Shalom, you can join us. No? Okay. Huh? One second. No thanks. No shakshuka for me. Such a nice... Thank you for asking, Sean. What a mensch. The mensch in the bench. Joy. I'll take some. Oh. Delicious. <laughs> All right, swing on by. You're, you're, you're right in the hood. Um, so I, I, it's, it'll be very interesting and I think very important that we study this final Torah portion a little bit. We got a flavor for what it's about because, again... Most of the time, it just gets completely lost in the shuffle and in the celebration. Um, come Monday, I just want to give you a rundown. So we're going to do DBP today and tomorrow, Thursday and Friday. Monday is Hoshana Rabbah and Erev Yomtev again. So it's going to, Monday is going to be one of those hit or miss. We're not going to be in person for sure not. Whether or not we're going to do it online, it's hit or miss. And then next week, we'll be back again Thursday, Friday, but that's going to be for Bereshit. That's going to be for the, for, 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 the, for the beginning, for the opening Torah portion of the Torah. So this is our time now over the next few days to study Vizot HaBracha. So without further ado, let's jump into it. I'm going to get this rocking and rolling. Um, let's see what our friends over at Chabad.org have lined up. They do not have lined up what we are looking for. So give me a moment here quickly. Text and writings, parsha, all parshas, vizot habracha. You have to. They they always send you to the current parsha, but they're considering the holiday as the current parsha. So we have to do a bit of an end around over here, work around, vizot habracha Torah reading. Good to go. Okay, I'm going to share my screen with you, and we are moments away from starting the inside text. Okay, here we go. Torah reading for vizot habracha. You can see it right there. Vizot HaBracha. Uh, Vizot HaBracha, by the way, means, and this is the blessing. Literally, Vizot, and this is HaBracha, the blessing. So let's begin Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse number 1. Uh, the goal today is going, to be re- is going to be to cover 1, 2, and 3 of the readings, first 3 or 4. Let's see how far we get. And this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, Bless the children of Israel just before his death. This is 100% taking place on the last day of his life, the day of his passing, his birthday, the 7th of Adar, 2488, the year 2488 from creation. This is the blessing that Moses gave to the children of Israel right before his passing. Verse number two, he said, Moses said, The Lord came from Sinai and shone forth from Seir to them. He appeared from Mount Paran, 
and came with some of the holy myriads. From his right hand was a fiery law for them. Now, obviously, God doesn't have a body, nor does God have a right hand, right? So this is meant to be uh, metaphoric, euphemistic. It's not meant to be literal. It's meant to be figurative. We have a nice, strong wind blowing through my sukkah. And the sukkah, Baruch Hashem, we got a new sukkah this year. It's holding up pretty nicely. I'm just going to say that. I don't know if you could hear the wind rustling, but I'm looking at the walls. You could also see this pole behind me. I'm not no swaying over here. All right, that's, a good, news. that's good news. So from God's right hand was a fiery law for them. Law is capitalized. That's referring to the Torah. Indeed, let's continue. You, God, showed love for peoples. All his holy ones are in your hand, for they let themselves be centered at your feet, bearing your utterances. These are very poetic words, or poetic words, and we're going to toggle Rashi in a moment and go back to get the full meaning of these verses. Torah, Tziva, Lanu, Moshe, Morasha, Kehilat, Yaakov, one of the first verses that children learn when they first begin to study Torah is verse number four. The Torah that Moses commanded us is a legacy. For the congregation of Jacob, legacy means like an inheritance. The Rebbe said many times, what's the meaning of an inheritance? Whether you like it or not, it's yours, right? An inheritance means an inheritance means you don't need to buy it. You don't need to barter for it. You don't need to negotiate for it. It's your inheritance. The Torah is our inheritance. It's every single one of our inheritance, of our inheritance, whatever the right tense is over there. All right, let's continue. And he, God, was a king in Yeshurun. Whenever the sum total of the people were gathered and the tribes of Israel were together. Okay, now he's going to get to Reuben. And he's going to go through the tribes and give each one a blessing or a point of uh, comment. But before we do that, let's now go back and look at some Rashi's over there. Um, The opening Rashi explains why Moses said this before his death. So Rashi says, very close to the time of his death. Why? For if not now, when? In other words, some things you can push off. But some things, sometimes, there's no longer any time to push it off. So yeah, Moses was waiting for these final words to all the tribes right before he passed away. Well, that was the time, if not now, Moses said to himself, when? Of course, this is a, a quote from Pirkei Avot. Hillel, the great Hillel said, Im, im li mili, If I'm not for myself, who am I? If I'm only for myself, then who am I? And if not now, when? And Rashi is quoting it here in the context of Moses saying, now is the time to say these blessings. Okay. That was Pirkei Avot, Rabbi? Yeah, that is Pirkei Avot. What's the source? I mean, what number? Is that 33.1 it says? Uh, No. Oh, no, no, that's Sifri. Sifri is, is the first part of it. Um, but this last part, for if not, not if not now when, that's Rashi's lifting a phrase from Pirkei Avot, chapter one, it's toward the end of chapter one. Chapter one's not that big, but it's, to, it's toward the end. You could just Google Chabad.org, Pirkei Avot, and you'll find it in chapter one. Um, if not now when, so again, sometimes, you know, we push off maybe celebrations, perhaps, right? One day we'll do, but if not now when, at, at, at some point... It sounds very inspiring. It's very inspiring. Now, now is the time, exactly. All right, let's go verse, verse number two, and Rashi explains how Moses opens up his final words. The Lord came from Sinai. So Moses initiated his blessing by praising the omnipresent, praising God, and then he addressed the needs of Israel. Okay, the praise with which Moses commenced mentions the merit of Israel. All this is a way of conciliation, as if to say, these people are worthy that a blessing should rest upon them. Right, he's talking about God, how strong God is, and how God gave us the Torah, blah, blah, blah. So, basically saying, of all the nations, God gave us the Torah, so it's in praise of God, in praise of the Jewish people. Everyone's getting buttered up by Moses right now. Here we go. It's like, God, you have a nice tie. Okay, let's go. Came from Sinai. What does that mean? God came out toward them when they came to stand at the foot of the mountain. As a bridegroom grows, goes forth to greet his bride, as it, is, as, it is, as it is said, and Moses brought the people forth toward God. We learn from this that God came out toward them. Now, what does that mean? Did God come out like down the aisle with procession music? No. But Sinai was kind of the marriage, if you will, of God and the Jewish people. Torah was the ketubah, was the document. 
And so the, 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 the metaphor is like a bridegroom, like a groom greets the bride. That's how God came to us at Sinai. Um, they shone for, God shone forth from Seir to them. What does that mean he came from Seir? Because God first offered the children of Esau who dwelt in Seir that they accept the Torah, but they did not want to accept it. This is something we've talked about many times. Rashi has mentioned numerous times throughout the Torah the fact, this tradition that God did offer the Torah to other nations, each one of them refused. Only the Jewish people, um, only the Jewish people said yes to the dress. Sorry, said yes to the Torah. Um, that's a different reality show. All right, let's welcome Sarah. Sarah, welcome. Good to have you here. Okay. The Sukkot edition, uh, Sukkot edition, DPP. So we're learning Vizot HaBracha. So basically Moses speaks in praise of God who gave us the Torah and in praise of the Jewish people who accepted the Torah when no one else accepted it. So, and from Mount Paran, what does that mean? When did God, why did God uh, then come to Paran? So Rashi says, because he went there and offered the children of Ishmael who dwelled in Paran to accept the Torah, but they also did not want to accept it. So God basically shopped the Torah around. Do you want it, Esav? No. Yishmael, do you want it? No. Other nations, do you want it? No. But then the Jewish people accepted it and received it with open arms. Um, and came to Israel with some holy myriads. Uh, with God were only some of the myriads of his holy angels, but not all of them, not even most of them. This is unlike the manner of a mortal who displays all the splendor of his riches and all his glory on his wedding day. God keeps some in reserves, although God's riches, whatever that means, are infinite. Anyway, a fiery law. What does that mean, a fiery law? This is so, I love this quote, and you've heard it before, but let's do it again. A fiery law for them. Rashi explains that the Torah was originally written before God in letters of black fire on a background of white fire. How cool is that? I'm waiting for an art installation with white fire and black fire, or at least bright fire and dark fire on top of it, the words of Torah glowing like that, fire on fire. He, he gave it to them, to the Jewish people, on tablets inscribed as a word by his right hand. Thus it is said here from his right hand. Another expression of Eshdas, as the Targum renders it, that he gave it to them from amidst the fire, Eish dus could mean a fiery law, literally from amidst the fire. Okay, now let us, give me a second here. Let us continue with verse number three. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Indeed, you showed love for peoples. All his holy ones are in your, are your hand, etc. Let's see Rashi. God also displayed his great affection to the tribes, each one of whom were known as a people. For only Benjamin was destined to be born when the Holy One was to be, said to Jacob, a nation and a multitude shall come into existence from you. So we see that Benjamin alone was called a nation, a multitude of nations, refers to Ephraim and Manasseh. Basically, God personally showed love and affection to all 12 tribes. His holy ones are in your hand. This refers to the souls of the righteous, which are hidden away with God. As it is said, but my Lord's soul shall be bound up in the bundle of life with the Lord your God. Um, by the way, this is... This phrase, in the, bound, in the bundle of life, may the, may the soul be bundled in the bundle of life, that is what's written in an acronym on a Jewish uh, um, um, stone. One second, there's a truck going by. It's what happens. When you, there you go. It's what happens when you do a class in a sukkah. You get trucks going by and mysis. You get wind and breezy. It's beautiful out here. I will say though. Um, okay, so basically, there are five letters at the bottom of a Jewish tombstone: Tuf, Nun, Tzadik, Bet, Hey. And it stands for Tehei Nafsho Tsurura Bitsrar Hachayim. May the soul of the departed, of, of our loved one, be bound in the bundle of life. That's the phrase bound up in the bundle of life. That comes from here, the book of Samuel. Rashi referenced it here, uh, but it's, uh, it's an, ac an acronym on, uh, on a Jewish headstone. If you've been to a Jewish cemetery and you've seen a stone, um, you might have noticed those five letters by raise of hand. Anybody ever notice those five letters? Basically like an acronym at the bottom. 
No? All right, next time you check out a stone, check it out. It's usually there. Let's continue. Um, they are centered at, they sent, be centered at your feet. Israel is indeed worthy of this privilege to have their souls hidden away with God because they place themselves right in the middle of the bottom of the mountain at your feet at Sinai. Okay. In other words, we said yes and we followed God unconditionally. Bearing your utterances, the board of the oak of Torah, your Torah. Uh, I see some grammatical stuff here, which I don't want to get into right now. Um, all right. Look at Rashi here on verse 4. The Torah that Moses commanded us is a legacy for the congregation of Jacob. Rashi says, we have taken hold of it and we will not forsake it. Look at that. We're not letting it go. We accepted the Torah. We're not letting it go. Let's talk about verse 5. He was a king in Jushurun. Yeshurun, what is that? He, God, was king in Yeshurun, i.e. the yoke of God's sovereignty was always upon them, upon the Jewish people. Whenever the sum total of the people were gathered, what does that mean? Rashi says that every gathering of Rashi, meaning whenever their number is gathered. Rashi, uh, so in other words, when, when the people gather together, these people are worthy that I should bless them. So when, when Jews gather together, in a group, in a congregation, we're even more worthy of a blessing than when we stand alone. So that's the idea of the power of a gathering, which is why we have communal prayer and sushi in the sukkah, etc. This is why we get together for happy occasions and for, for, for uh, celebrations. It's not only a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing, um, and it's a divine blessing thing. All right, so again, just a little commercial for tonight, a little plug for tonight. If you're, not, if you're, if you're still on the fence about joining us, join us. For God's blessing. And sushi. Let's continue. Another explanation. When Israel is gathered together in a unified group and there is peace among them, God is their king. But not, aha, when there is strife among them. Now we have the opposite. When we're together, there's a blessing. But if God forbid there's strife, God says, I'm gonna, I'm out. Let me know when y'all have it sorted out and I'll come back in. Right? That's kind of the way it is. God says... Figure it out, and I'll, and I'll be back. Let's continue. Verse number six. Let's go through the blessings of the tribes. May Reuben live and not die. This is new, new, uh, new versage. Making that up. New verses. Inside. May Reuben live and not die. And may his people be counted in the number. What does that mean? Rashi says, may Reuben live in this world and not die in the world to come. That the incident, Moses was praying that the incident involving Bilhah, not be remembered against them. If you recall, as we see here in the brackets, we have the reference. This is a throwback. you got to remember all the way back four books ago, book of Genesis talks about how Jacob's beloved wife, um, Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel, Rachel, passes away, and he moves his bed. Jacob puts his bed into... Rachel, Rachel's maidservant's tent and Reuben, who was the firstborn of Leah, there were two sisters and then each of them had a maidservant. So when Rachel passes away, Yaakov, Jacob, moves his bed into the tent of Rachel's maidservant instead of the other sister Leah. Well, Reuben was Leah's oldest son and he was very offended. He says, my father always gave preference to my wife's sister. But now that she passed away, the sister passed away, at least he should now move his bed into my mother's tent. So he took his father's bed and he moved it into his mother's tent. He said, that's it, I'm taking matters into my own hands. Wow, was Jacob not happy about that. Some things you don't mix in as a kid. And one of them is the parents um, nocturnal arrangements. Is that a way of saying it, perhaps? Maybe? Okay. All right. Maybe that's a way of saying it, but that's what a, a child is not meant to get involved in these types of things. And uh, Jacob, if you recall, at the end of Genesis, he had scathing remarks for his son Reuben. Um, in his final blessing to Reuben, he mentioned that incident, basically saying that he lost his firstborn privilege, essentially, as the tribe, as the firstborn tribe, because of that incident and uh, all sorts of things. But here, before Moses passes away, so this is now, you know, hundreds of years later, Moses speaks to the same tribe of Reuben and says, at this point, it should not be held against you. May it not be counted 
against you as far as a negative merit or a, a demerit. And may, the, may his people be counted in the number. Here we go. May Reuben be counted um, uh, along with the enumeration of the rest of his brothers. This matter, that the incident involving Bilhah should not exclude Reuben from being counted together with his brothers, is similar to what it said. And Reuben went and lay with Bilhah. Okay, it says that Reuben lay with Bilhah, which didn't happen. He just moved the, the bed from Bilhah's tent, that was the maidservant, into his mother's tent. And Jacob's sons were 12. So the next verse says Jacob's sons were 12. That indicates that he was not excluded from the number of Jacob's sons on account of the incident. In other words, it could, have gone, it could have gone where Jacob, the father, would have said, you're out, you're done, you're finished. You're no longer a, God forbid, right? You're no longer a son to me. I have 11 sons, not 12. That would have been a, an extreme reaction, obviously. I'm not saying that was a valid reaction or a healthy reaction, but it could have been a reaction, but it wasn't. He got, he got rebuked harshly. He lost some privileges, but he's still one of the 12 tribes, one of the 12 sons, one of the 12 tribes. And Moses here before his passing reiterates it, just as Jacob, his father, had told him, Years prior. Let's continue. Uh, let's, so we went from Reuben now to Judah. May this also be for Judah. So Rashi explains, he juxtaposed Judah to Reuben because they both confessed to the wrong they had done. As it is said, the wise men have told to them alone and no stranger passed between them. Okay, this verse alludes to the confession of Reuben and Judah. Okay, listen. Um, we have a, it's, it's, it's an elaborate... Um, uh, uh, derivation here, which I, again, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty, so let me just give it to you in, 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 in Bikitzer, in short. The, the short idea here is that Reuben did some stuff that he had to make amends for, which he did. Um, it says, in fact, at the time of the selling of Joseph, which I'll tell you parenthetically, at the time that Joseph was sold, um, they had thrown him into a pit, and then Reuben had suggested that they throw him to a pit and not kill him, and he was intending to... He was intending on rescuing, um, rescuing from the uh, from the pit, but he didn't get around to it. Why not? Because he had gone to on his daily um, endeavor of amends making and tshuva doing, repentance doing, for the incident regarding his father. So and and the father's bed in the tent, which we just spoke about. So he was contrite and and repentant for the rest of his life. Judah also confessed to his indiscretion with regard to Tamar, his daughter-in-law. He thought she was not his daughter-in-law and was with her, etc. Again, that's a, a throwback story. The point is, they were both, they both did something that they shouldn't have done, but made amends for, confessed, and, and, and fixed it, essentially. So that is, that's why here, Judah and Reuben are juxtaposed. First Reuben and then Judah in proximity. Let's continue. O Lord, hearken to Judah's voice. The next Rashi says, this refers to the descendants of Judah, the prayer of David and Solomon, and the prayer of Asa because of the Ethiopians, and that of Jehoshaphat on account of the Ammonites, and that of Hezekiah because of Sancherev. These are various Jewish leaders and kings that prayed and were answered, and they were all from the Davidic dynasty, which comes from the tribe of Judah. Bring him to his people in peace from war. His hands will do battle for him. Hold on. Hands do battle for him. May his hands fight his battle. And may they exact his vengeance. May you be a help against his adversaries. Okay, it's a reference to what happened in history with Yehoshaphat. Um... Okay, let's go over here. O, o Lord, hearken to Judah's voice, Rashi says. Here, included within Judah's blessing, Moses alluded to an incorporated blessing for Shimon, the allusion being the word Shema. Aha, he says, Shema Hashem kol Yudah. Listen, Shema is a reference to Shimon. Shimon received his portion of the lot of Judah. As scripture says, that a lot of the children of Judah was the inheritance of the children of Shimon. Now, why did Moses... Not to vote a separate blessing for him, for Shimon, for the tribe of Shimon, because he held against him what he had done in Shittim, referring to the sin of Zimri, the son of Salu, leader of the tribe of Shimon. So it was written in the Gada of Psalms. Okay, very interesting. Basically, the, the 12 tribes are blessed here, but not all 12. One of them that's not blessed is Shimon. Simeon, Shimon. Just called by his Hebrew name, Shimon. Shimon is not blessed, but it's alluded to in Judah's blessing. Why was he not blessed? So Rashi explains because of the incident that happened with 
Zimri. Remember when um, there was a leader, a prince of the Jews, who was um, acting immorally with a princess of the Midianites, and Pinchas speared them both. Remember that? Speared, not spared. S-P-E-A-R-E-D them. So, boom. That was the leader of the tribe of Shimon. So, since their leader had done something so egregious, so it says, according to this Rashi, which is coming from the Agadah of Psalms, it's coming from a, a previous work, a Midrashic work, that's why he doesn't specify the blessing for Shimon. Okay, next, let's continue with the blessings. So we have, so far, Reuven or Reuben. We have Yehuda or Judah. We have included in that one is Shimon. We just said there's an allusion to him, Shema, Shimon, okay? And now we have, we're back to Levi. And of Levi, he said. So this is tribe number three slash four, depending on how you count. Sorry, this is tribe, no, we only had Reuben and Judah, so that's two. This is the third or the fourth if we count uh, Shimon. And of Levi, he said, yes. So you know how we saw last week's portion that that Moses was foreseeing our whole entire history? It'll be up, we'll be down. And did he not foresee that the tribes will be dispersed? Um, there are probably allusions to it in the Torah, yeah. I'm sure there are. Now, is it alluded to here or elsewhere in other places? I, I have a recollection of, of multiple illusions. I just can't, I can't draw on it right this second. But anyway, at this moment, he's, he's wishing them well on the journey into Israel. To, right. That, that's for sure the, the, the simple meaning of it, right? right? Can we find allusions to the fact that at some point, most of these tribes essentially are going to be scattered and, I mean, lost until Mashiach? Possibly. Possibly. I, w- I would say yes. And again, I kind of I remember something like that. Um, but exactly what, where, when. Maybe it'll come up here in the Rashi as we, as we go through. Okay, now Avlevi. So Avlevi, he said, your Tumim and Urim. That's the Urim and Tumim. For those, uh, for those uh, following along. Urim and Tumim was the special... Um, special, I don't know what the right, uh, parchment or whatever that was placed inside the breastplate of the high priest. Okay? So this is referring to the choshen, to the breastplate. So, and of Levi, which is the Kohen Gadol, the high priest comes from the tribe of Levi. And of Levi, he said, your Tumim and Urim belong to your pious man. Your pious man is a reference to, of course, the high priest, whom you tested at Masa and whom you tried at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and his mother, the Levite said of his father and his mother, I do not see him, neither did he recognize his brothers, nor did he know his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. And that's a reference, as we'll see in Rashi in a moment, that's a reference to the fact that the tribe of Levi were the ones that exacted punishment after the sin of the golden calf. The tribe of Levi did not participate in that sin. And half-siblings, if they had half-siblings that were directly participants in the sin of the golden calf, they executed following that sin, even though they might have been somewhat related. That's what it means. They didn't look at their brothers. and They didn't say, well, it's my brother or my half-brother, so therefore I'm not going to do it. Justice is justice, and they did what God had asked them to do. So let's look at, oh, actually, let's continue. They, the Levites, shall teach your ordinances to Jacob and your Torah to Israel. So the, the Levites, they were the priests and the Levites, the tri- sorry, the tribe of Levi constituted the, the priests, the Kohanim, and the Levim the priests and the Levites. They always were the ministers of the Jewish people and the teachers. So they shall teach your ordinances to Jacob and your Torah to Israel. They shall place incense before you and burnt offerings upon your altar. Yeah, they were the ones to serve in the temple. May the Lord bless his army. You see that? He calls the spiritual servants his army. It's an interesting phrase, right? Not an army of guns and knives or whatever. This is whatever they used. <laughs> whatever they used you know, 3,300 years ago, whatever, right, whatever uh, uh, weapons, not that army, his spiritual army, the God squad. May the Lord bless his army and favorably accept the work of his hands, strike the loins of those who rise up against him and his enemies so that he, so that they will not recover. Let's, let's look at Rashi on Judah's blessing, on, uh, on Levi's blessing. Oh, I'm sorry. Moses, well, I, I, I may have, misspoken a little bit. Moses is addressing the Shekhinah about your, your Tum and Urim are referring to God's 
Tum and Orim, um, that the Levites, that the high priest was charged with, whom you tested a Masa, spoken in praise of the Levites, for they did not complain when the others who com- with the others who complained. So whenever the Jews complained, it was never the women, number one. Women never complained. And the Levim, the Levites, the, the tribe of Levi, did not, was, they were never involved in the complaints. Masa Mariva, that's a different place where they complained of water or food, whatever it was. Um, and whom you tried, Rashi says, you tested him, Levi, at the waters of Mariba, and he came out faithful. Another explanation. Okay, no. Who said of his father and his mother, I did not see him. Rashi says, Moses says, when they, Israel, sinned with the golden calf, and I said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me, all the sons of Levi assembled to me. And I ordered them to kill those guilty of worshiping the golden calf, even one's mother's father, if he was an ordinary Israelite. Oh, wow, one's own grandfather. If he was an ordinary Israelite and not a Levite, or his brother from his mother, if his brother's father was not a Levite, or the son of his daughter whose husband was not a Levite, and they did so. It is, however, impossible to explain this means literally his father and his, and his brother from his father, and likewise literally his sons, because all these were Levites. And another tribe of Levi sinned, as it is said, and all the sons of Levi gathered to him. So again, the point here is, and by the way, am I cutting out? Let me know if I'm cutting out. Did I cut out or no? No? No. Still good? Okay, good. It's telling me that the internet connection is unstable, but I'm assuming that, you know, it doesn't always know the truth. Zoom. It knows a lot, but not, not always 100%. So getting back to our story, and this is what I told you outside before we were reading in the Rashi, that, again, the, the, the lineage of tribal affiliation, including... The, uh, the priesthood or the Levitehood, you know, tribe of Levi, it goes by the father. So imagine somebody's, somebody's a Levite because their father was a Levite, but their mother wasn't a Levite. She married a Levite, but she's not from the tribe of Levi. So her father, right, is not a Levite because she's not a Levite. Her father is from the tribe of, let's say, Reuven. So maybe he was involved in the sin of the golden calf. So when the Levites were told to execute those that were directly involved in planning and orchestrating the golden calf, it might have been even someone's Grandfather, potentially. I'm not saying it was, but potentially. It could have been. Or one's grandson, even. Because if their daughter married a non-Levite, then their son would not be a Levite, and maybe they were involved in the sin of the golden calf. Again, I'm not saying who was or who wasn't, but the point is the Levites were called on to execute, literally execute judgment and uh, punishment, and uh, sometimes it even involved family, relatives, but they did it faithfully because that's what, that's what they were called on to do. Um, kept your covenant. What does that mean? Rashi says, the covenant of circumcision. For ordinary, the ordinary Israelites who were born in the desert did not circumcise their sons. Look at that. The Jews in the desert did not circumcise their sons. You're probably wondering, why not? I would imagine because they were traveling and it's a desert and maybe there's danger involved and you don't have to do it when it's dangerous. You know, like you have to do the circumcision when the baby's healthy and there's a healthy uh, environment. If you're in the middle of the desert, with heat and sand and traveling and all that stuff. So then maybe you're absolved until you get to a settled place. But the Levites didn't take that way out. The Levites were not only circumcised, not only circumcised themselves, but they circumcised their sons. Okay, the, uh, the Levites are the ones to teach your ordinances to Jacob, Rashi says, because they are worthy of doing this. They are worthy of teaching the Torah. And burnt offerings, okay, we got that. May the Lord bless his army and strike the loins of those who rise up against them. Strike those who rise up against them in the loins. Okay? This is similar to what it said. Constantly cause their loins to slip. Here Moses was referring to those who contested the priesthood. Okay? Anyone who challenged the priesthood, we have a tradition, we know who's a priest. That's it. Trying to tear down the priesthood, those that try to tear down shall be torn down. Another explanation, Moses saw prophetically that the Hasmonean and his sons... That's the story of Hanukkah. We're destined to wage war with the Greeks. Remember the Hanukkah story? Ah, I love this. It's like Hanukkah on Sukkot. This is a great little cross-reference. It's like Batman and Superman hanging out together in the same book, in the same film. So here we have Hanukkah on Sukkot. So we have the Hasmonean and his sons were destined to wage war with the Greeks. He therefore prayed, Moses therefore prayed for them because they were few in number, namely the 12 sons of the Hasmonean and Eleazar uh, against, the mighty, against the many myriads of the enemy. Okay, basically, Moses prophetically was giving a blessing that the descendants of the tribe of Levi, who were the Hashmonaim, the Hasmoneans, who waged war against the Greeks in the story of Hanukkah, 
that although they were few, they were they were from the tribe of Levi. Although they were few in number, that they should be successful and victorious. And this was the, that this was the blessing that ultimately helped them in their victory. Um, let's go. Levinyamin, Levinyamin, Amar, verse twelve. And of Benjamin, he said. Moses now turns his attention to the tribe of Benjamin. And of Benjamin, he says, the Lord's beloved one shall dwell securely beside him. He protects him all day long, and he dwells between his shoulders. I just picture God on Benjamin's shoulders, and that's going to be a heavy weight. So here we go. What does that mean? Let's understand this is referring to the temple, as we'll see soon. And of Benjamin, he said, since Levi's blessings pertain to the sacrificial service, and Benjamin's blessing pertains to building the holy temple within his territory, Moses juxtaposed one to the other. Let me explain. That blessing to Levi, to the tribe of Levi, was that they should work and minister in the temple. And the blessing to Benjamin was that the temple should be built in his territory, in his land. The physical structure was built, partially, in the portion of Benjamin. And who served there? Levi. So Rashi is just explaining why Moses seems to be skipping out of order with the birth order of the tribes. Benjamin was the youngest. Judah was the fourth. So why are we jumping from four to twelve in the birth order? You understand what, what he's explaining? He's explaining why Moses is jumping around the tribes. Because he's juxtaposing the ones who work in the temple with the ones who's, in whose territory the temple was built. Done. Um, he then juxtaposes Joseph immediately after him because Joseph too had a, had a sanctuary built within his territory. The Mishkan of Shiloh, which was erected in his territory. Okay. Oh, and because the holy temple in Jerusalem is dearer to God than the Mishkan of Shiloh, he mentioned the blessing of Benjamin before Joseph, even though Joseph was older. So Rashi now has covered us for the next three blessings, or for these three blessings, the order of Moses went. Levi, they're the ones who work there. Benjamin, that's where the holy temple was. Joseph, that's where the Mishkan, the sanctuary, the tabernacle was before the temple was built in Shiloh. Next, he protects him, covers him, protects him all day long. Here we go. Since the time Jerusalem was chosen for the building of the temple, the divine presence has never dwelt elsewhere. Look at that. Once Jerusalem was the place of the temple, that's it. The Shekhinah never leaves. The, whole, the divine presence never leaves. That's why some people won't go onto the temple mount today. Why? Because the Shekhinah is there. Even though the temple might not be there, there might be other buildings there, bottom line is the holiness, divine presence is not. It's still there. And if the divine presence is there, you have to go in a state of holiness and purity, which means you need to go... And if you become ritually impure through coming in contact with death, you need a red heifer. And honestly, who's got a red heifer handy? Who's got red heifer juice handy to do that whole sprinkling thing? And you need a temple to be purified anyway. So bottom line is, many people, many Jews will not go to the Temple Mount out of deference, out of reverence for the Shekhinah, for the Divine Presence that's still there, as we have, have here Rashi quotes the Mechilta saying, all day long, that means forever. The moment the Temple was built in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, the Divine Presence remains. Let's continue. God dwells between His shoulders, the shoulders of Benjamin. What does that mean? The Holy Temple was built on the highest point of Benjamin's land, except that it was 23 cubits below the Eight Talmud, which is the highest point. I feel like, I feel like, um, when Rabbi Stulik, the Jewish Indiana Jones, you guys remember him? Rabbi Stulik? Yes? My friend from, uh, from Florida, the Jewish Indiana Jones. He's the, um, the what's it called again? The archaeologist. So I feel like when he gave his latest presentation a few months ago, um, I think we did it in July, so I feel like he spoke about this idea that they built a temple not at the highest point, but a little bit below the highest point. And this is what it means between his shoulders. Just like the shoulders are not the highest point of the body. The head is. The shoulders are a little bit beneath it, but it's still, it's still up there, but it's not at the top. So to the temple was built not at the top, not at the peak, a little bit beneath the peak. Um, now, here we go. It was David's intention, King David's intention, to build it there at the highest point, the Eitam Well. However, they said to David, no. Let us build it a little lower. For scripture states, and he dwells between his shoulders, which are lower than the head. And there's no part of an ox more beautiful than his shoulders. Okay, more beautiful than an ox's head is the ox's shoulders. Apparently. I'm not an expert on oxen, but nonetheless, that's what we're learning today. Now let's continue with reading number three, and let's get more blessings of the tribes. And of Joe. Well, yes, quick question, sure. Rabbi. So you, you said that some... 
uh, will not visit the Temple Mount today. So yes. that includes the Western Wall, right? No, not the Western Wall. Okay. Not, oh. That does not include the Western Wall. Why? The Western Wall is actually the retaining wall of Jerusalem. It's one of the retaining walls. And it's not one of the temple, it's not one of the actual temple, it's the retaining wall. And thus, outside the wall, on that side of the wall, you're safe. It would be inside the wall that would be problematic. Anything in the interior of that wall would be problematic. Outside the wall is 100% fine. That's, okay, so that's, that's why, what, so that's why that's the closest place. If we're adhering to halacha in, in its perfect state, that's the closest we can get without needing purification that we can't really achieve right now. That's why that's the, the space to pray. It's the closest you can get without crossing that line. Again, I know some people do go there and there's rabbis that have that. Again, there are, there are other opinions as well, but I'm just stating the, what, what I believe to be the majority opinion, the majority consensus is that hallowed ground, we don't, uh, we don't, we don't tread casually on that, on that space. Now, let's continue with chapter 33, verse 13. Let's talk about Joseph. So we have the juxtaposition of the three tribes, Levi, who worked in the temple, Benjamin, in whose land it was built, and Joseph, who housed the Shiloh Mishkan before the temple was built. The Mishkan was the, the, the tabernacle that Moses built. When it went into Israel, it traveled around a little bit. It settled for a while in Shiloh, which was in Shiloh, which was in uh, Joseph's territory. So it also was a space of a temple or a portable temple. So it's mentioned here, as Rashi said before. And of Joseph, he said, here's the blessing to Joseph. His land shall be blessed by the Lord with the sweetness of the heavens, with dew and with the deep that lies below. That's a nice blessing. And with the sweetness of the produce of the sun and with the sweetness of the moon's yield and with the crops of the early mountains and with the sweetness of perennial hills and with the sweetness of the land and its fullness and through the contentment of the one who dwells in the thorn bush, thorn bush, may it come upon Joseph's head and upon the crown of the one separated from his brothers. Look at that. Separated from his brothers. That's a reference, of course, to, uh, to Joseph. Um, we're just, let's do the last verse and then we'll go back to all the sweetness uh, in the commentary. To his firstborn, to his firstborn ox is given glory. Joseph is compared to an ox. His horns are the horns of a re'aim. With them he will gore peoples together throughout all the ends of the earth. These are the myriads of Ephraim and these are the thousands of Manasseh. And here Moses alludes to the fact that Joseph, Ve'aim, Right, and here, Nassim, if you're coming in, come in already for the cameo. So these are the, um, oh, hey, that's Nassim. Hello. Happy holidays from our tent, our uh, outdoor hut. Oh, hold, bring, uh, you, excuse just shove over the, the babka for a second? What is it? No, it's a reference. By the way, the, the mitzvah in the sukkah, is to, is to eat in the sukkah and do other things. But eating, you say, a special blessing. So I have here Trader Joe's babka. Babka in the hut. So if anybody wants to do a blessing and you're in, you're in the neighborhood, just stop on by and maybe we'll leave it here. Why not? Say a blessing over the food. Say a blessing, leishib uh, sukkah. And that's it. You get, your, uh, you get your mitzvah in. We'll also have tonight at the sushi event, we'll have plenty of food and blessings and opportunities to shake the lulav and the estrog and all that stuff. But getting back to this last verse. It says it's from Brooklyn. It says the babka's from Brooklyn. Are you kidding me? This is from like <laughs> Schick's or Green's Bakery. They don't tell you this, but this is pasta show. This is like super, super duper kosher. This is like Brooklyn, like um, Borough Park level um, babka here. Sticky babka. Trader Joe's, they know where to source their stuff from. You know, they like white label. They buy it and then, you know, they, they, they hit Trader Joe's on it. But it's uh, legit. And, you go to the one on Monroe? Yeah, I go to the one right here. But I went today, I really went to get the black and white cookies, what they call them the half moon cookies, right? Which is also from the same bakery, the same Hasidisha bakery. But what are you going to do? They were out. He's like, no, they weren't discontinued. They're just, they're not, we're not, they're, they're coming, but we don't know when. I said, fine, we'll take a bunch of babkas. So we have a bunch of babkas um, for now and for tonight. Let's get back inside. So with them, we said he will go, I'm just going to read the last verse again. 
To his firstborn ox is given glory. To his, his horns are the horns of Ram. With them he will give gore peoples to gather throughout all the ends of the earth. These are the mirrors of Ephraim, and these are the thousands of Menashe. Let's get back to Rashi. And with this, we're going to close it out. We'll just do three readings today. We'll finish up the Torah portion tomorrow. So let's um, do the Rashis. Um, he, his land shall be blessed by the Lord. Rashi says, based on the Sifri, for throughout the inheritance of all the tribes, there was no land more full of goodness than Joseph's land. Look at that. Joseph always gets the best. You can imagine the tribes later on in history. Always gets the best. Gets the coat. Gets the best land. It's not fair. Um, delicacies and sweetness. Oh, by the way, if you're wondering, like, what did Joseph's land grow already? Like, what was, like, what was so sweet about it? Babka. It grew, right? Trader Joe's is Joseph. Trader Joseph. And uh, they grew sweet babka. Chocolate Brooklyn babka grew originally. It's a throwback. It's now, you know. Okay, back here. Not, none of what I just said is accurate, as you guys know. The deep, <laughs> the waters which lie in the depth of the earth ascend and moisten the land from below. Look at that. Look at that. The land is um, fertile because the waters are self-irrigating or irrigate the land. You find that in the case of each tribe, Moses' blessing resembles Jacob's blessing to the same tribe. For instance, Jacob blessed Joseph with also the idea that the depth, the water should come up and, and, and irrigate the land. Okay. With the sweetness of the produce of the sun, for Joseph's land was exposed to the sun, which sweetened its fruit. Yeah, if you're growing something, you need sunlight. The moon's yield. What's that? Some fruits are ripened by, ripened by the moon. So some by the sun, some by the moon. Now, which one's by the moon? Now, let's say you're a farmer and you're learning Torah and you're like, oh, I don't know. Which, which fruit, which, which types of, which yield is sweetened, ripened by the moon? So Rashi says, these are cucumbers and gourds. Now you know. Now you know. It's not the sun, it's the moon. There you go. Another explanation, this refers to fruits which the earth expels and brings them out from itself month by month, yerach by yerach. That's what the moon, moon by moon, month by month. Okay. With the crop of the early mountains, what does that mean? The blessed and blessed with the fruits that are the first to ripen. For its mountains advanced the ripening of their fruits, thus the early mountains. Interesting. So the fruits of Joseph's territory, the mountains, they, uh, they, they ripen first. Okay. Another explanation, the verse teaches us that the creation, that their creation, uh, the mountains in the territory of Joseph, preceded all other mountains. Right. So when the mountains were created, which mountains were created first? Joseph. Joseph is getting definitely... He's not, he's not getting the short end of the stick. Let's put it that way. The sweetness of perennial hills. Um, by the way, perennial hills is a new development opening up um, I saw in Atlanta. Joking, but it does sound like a good, a good name for development. No, perennial hills. Anyway, the sweetness of perennial hills. Givot olam. Hills which produce fruit continuously and do not cease to produce fruit even because of lack of rain. Oh, I wish my uh, peach tree would, would work like that. Right? These are trees that year in, year out, no matter what, that's it. Next year, by the way, squirrels, since I'm outside, I feel like I can speak to the squirrels right now. Squirrels, we're on to you. And just watch out because we may or may not get those peaches before y'all clean the tree. Did I tell you what happened? I, I told you what happened this year, right? One night, yeah. the, the squirrels, just hundreds, of, literally hundreds of peaches went in one night. Let's continue. Um, through the contentment of the one who dwells in the thorn bush, what does that mean? The one who dwells in the bush. But what does that mean? Um, may his land, may the land of uh, Joseph be blessed through the favorable acceptance and contentment of the Holy One of He, who first revealed himself to me, to Moses, in a thorn bush. That's a reference to God. Through his contentment, contentment and appeasement. Okay. May it come, the blessing should come, will come upon Joseph's head. The one separated from his brothers, Joseph, who was separated from his brothers through his being sold. Okay, we got that reference. That was an easy one to pick up on. Um, to his firstborn ox is given glory. What does that mean? Um, there is. There are some instances. Uh, no. Um, okay, here we go. This is referring to the king who will descend from Joseph, namely Joshua. Oh, well, there you go. Joshua, who was going to be the next Jewish leader after Moses, like that day, the next day. So this was a descent from Joseph. So this is a reference to this firstborn ox or this leader that is going to emanate from Joseph or is emanating from Joseph, namely Joshua. Next, his ox, whose strength is as mighty as that of an ox to conquer many kings. Right, because uh, uh, Joshua, 
leading the Jews into the, into the land of Israel, how to conquer many kings, many nations, is given glory. It was given to him when Moses transferred some of his attribute of majesty to Joshua when he became leader. As it says, God said to Moses, and you shall give some of your majesty to him. So his glory was, Moses gave his own glory to Joshua for, to be the next leader. His horns are the horns of Re'aim. The ox is powerful, but its horns are not beautiful. On the other hand, the Re'aim, Re'aim has beautiful horns, but it is not powerful. So Moses did the old hybrid. He blessed Joshua with the power of an ox and the beauty of a Re'aim's horns. Now, what's a Re'aim? Is a Re'aim a ram? I don't know. It's what I, The ox is strong, but the horns are not strong. The Re'aim's horns are strong, but the actual Re'aim is not strong. So you get the strength of an ox and the horns of a Re'aim, and that is the magic combo. The ends of the earth, this refers to the 31 kings whom Joshua conquered in the land of Israel. 31 kings. That's a lot of kings, my friends. It's a lot of kings that Joshua conquered. Is it possible that, these, that all these kings were from the land of Israel? No. There was not one king or ruler who did not acquire for himself a palace and holding the land of Israel, even though he belonged to another country. In other words, there were seven nations in Israel, in Canaan. Canaan. So why 31? Because all of the other kings have vacation homes in, uh, in Israel as well. Everyone had a vacation, a chalet, chalet, yeah, a villa, a, um, a palace, etc., fortress. So they had to conquer all these guys. And why so? Because the land of Israel was considered distinguished to all of them. As it is said of the land of Israel, the finest inheritance of the host of the nations. For this reason, that's why the 31 kings are referred to as the ends of the earth, because they, did, they were not indigenous, if you will, to Israel, they came from the ends of the earth and had places in Israel and Joshua had to conquer those palaces and strongholds as well. These are the mirrors of Ephraim, the ones who are gored, sorry, the ones who are to be gored are the myriads who will be killed by Joshua, who was descended from Ephraim, and the thousands of Manasseh. They are the thousands killed by, in Midian by Gideon, who was descended from Manasseh, Joseph's older son, as it says now, Zeba and Zalmana were in Karkar, and the verse continues, okay, many, many thousands of hosts which were there. Okay, bottom line is, these are the blessings. We've read blessings today. Moses' final blessings to the people, the last, last Torah portion, this is it. This is, like, this is it. This is the grand finale. We read about the blessing to Reuven. We read about the blessing to um, Judah. Included in Judah was a reference and uh, uh, a hint to Shimon. It's three. Then we read about Levi. Four. Then we read about... Hold on. Levi. After Levi was... Joseph? No. After Levi was... Hold on. We're going back a little bit. Let me refresh my memory. After Levi was Benjamin. It's five. After Benjamin was Joseph... Six, and included in Joseph was Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, good. So we're halfway through. Halfway through the blessings. Almost, just about halfway through the Torah portion. Tomorrow, please God, same bad time, same bad channel, we will pick it up and conclude the Torah. And we'll do a huge chazak, chazak, v'niz chazek. Because we started last year with uh, Bereshit, with Genesis. We will conclude, please God, tomorrow. With Vizot Habracha. That is going to be a huge celebration. So join me. I'll be hopefully broadcasting live from the sukkah right here, and uh, we'll have a party. Um, okay, don't forget, quick announcement don't forget to do all your mitzvot on sukkot. So if you want to. If you want to know what are the mitzvot on these chalham uh, of these intermediary day or intermediate days between, well, the first few days are like a holiday, like Shabbat, where we don't do any work. The last few days are also like that, but the intermediary days, there's uh, a little bit more uh, flexibility, but there's still some special mitzvot. One of them is, of course, eating in the sukkah and hanging out in the sukkah, entertaining in the sukkah, right? That whole thing. And when you're in the sukkah and you eat something that's of a grain-based, like a mazono blessing, like cake, cookies, or bread, hamotzi, something more of a substantive nature. So you say the blessing over the food, and then you say a special blessing um, called leishe basukkah, which is the blessing of the, which we mentioned the mitzvah of, of eating in a sukkah or dwelling in a sukkah. And then that's the mitzvah of eating in a sukkah. And then we also do the lulav and the etrog. We shake the palm branch and the citron and all that good stuff. 
So that all of that, um, those, those are the two major mitzvot uh, nowadays. So if anybody wants to come over to do it in my sukkah in my house, just text me or call me and we can arrange a time to do that with pleasure. Um, if you're joining us tonight at 7, of course, that's, gonna, that's, that's why we're gathering tonight. See, the, the marketing said it's about sushi in the sukkah. The real reason is to do a mitzvah in the sukkah. What do you mean? Just sushi in the sukkah for no reason? Mitzvah. So we're going to have the food and the drink and the opportunity to shake the lulav and the esrog and also a lot of fun. It's going to be a huge amount of sushi and sushi making and uh, all that good stuff and some, some other accoutrements and, and fun surprises. So join us tonight at 8 p.m. for the party. Sorry, se- thank you. 7 p.m. for sushi in the sukkah at Chabad in town, which is two blocks that way. Two blocks past my sukkah here. Tomorrow, All right. are you going to have DPP? Yes. yes. Tomorrow? Yes. Tomorrow, not only are we having DPP, tomorrow is like the most important DPP. It's the, not the most important. Every day is the most important. But tomorrow is when we finish the Torah. We're going to finish studying the... Oh, wow. The, yeah, V'zot HaBracha. Because next week, Monday is, prob- Monday is not going to happen. It's going to be Erev Yom Tif. It's I, I know already. Every time it's the eve of the Yom Tif, I say, maybe we'll do it. We, we, I, I don't have to, I'm not able to do it. Too much stuff to do. So next week, please God, we'll gather again on Thursday and Friday. But we, we'll have to do Bereshit, the first Torah portion, which is massive. It's a lot to talk about. Like creation and, and all that stuff. Adam and Eve, etc. The Tower... So, um, so what's the point? Have you thought of the way you're going to add next on our new cycle? Have, like you said, no, no, I'm going to think about it over this, over this holiday now. By, by next week, I'll have some clarity on it, what we want to do. But weigh in. You guys so have any thoughts? Anyway, no, no I, I just thought, I mean, I know it's too much for our daily session, but I would like some other means to do the following books. Right. Okay, I, I, I still I feel like maybe there's a way to compress the Torah readings into less days and use some of those days to study at least the half Torah of the week. So we get the books of yeah. the book of the prophet, the weekly book of the prophet, you know, for that Torah portion. And then we get um, yeah. I, I feel like that's that's at least one step that we can do. You know, maybe one day a week, whether it's, you know, Friday or something or whatever, we'll do that. Yeah. Joy. Uh, hold on. Yeah. I think it's a great idea, and, and we could try it if it works and go forward. And there you go, yeah. if you, you pick a half Torah that you find particularly meaningful and do that. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, every, every, tor- every week there's a new one. So we could study. Right. We could study the weekly one. We'll read through it. It's not that long. We'll read through it. We'll share some insights, and I think that's a good way to go into Shabbos. It might be a good way to to, to enter into Shabbos yeah. with the half Torah. Then we have the complete readings. From, then we have the complete Saturday readings. Right, because if you if you look at uh, at this, right, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Mafter, which is the, really the last part of the seventh reading. So it's not anything new. But then you have the half Torah. Right? And this is important. By the way, the Haftorah for Zot HaBracha is what Donna was alluding to before, which is Joshua chapter 1, which is the next book. And it was after the death of Moses. This is like the... This is it. This is it. Right, I mean, it's nice to, it's nice to constantly review the Torah, but it's also nice to to continue the story. Right. Now, again, this wouldn't be continuing it in order. This would be jumping around as the Haftorahs jump around. But at least it's something. So I think, I think for me, that's where I'm leaning toward because it's still within the concept, within the overall mandate, I don't know, mandate, whatever, within the overall idea of like living with the weekly Torah portion. This is still the Torah portion and the Haftorah. We're adding a thing to it. Maybe we'll add some other surprises as well. Maybe... Um, like a daily mitzvah or two to study from the Sefer HaMitzvot, which, okay, we'll, um, we'll roll it out. 
we'll roll it out. I think, I think as Joyce said, we'll roll it out and see how it goes. All right. Um, I want to wish everybody a... Okay. Aniwa, I just yeah. want to say anyone is welcome tomorrow uh, to come here for DPP. Nice. At noon. So if you're interested... Amazing. Just, you know, That's beautiful. Me and... So reach out. So if you want to join Sandrine and her sukkah, then reach out to Sandrine. That, that would be beautiful. So anybody wants to join Sandrine? So, uh, yeah, let's make it happen. Yeah. Good. And if you don't have my contact, you can ask uh, Rabbi Sol. Yeah. Rabbi we, we won't do it on the recording, but and you can contact uh, me. I hope we meet you one day. I hope so, too. It's a dream. Well, yeah. I hope you're going to come to Atlanta one it would be. It would be great to have you here. <laughs> yeah, it would be great. All right, I want to wish everybody a, a Moe Tov, okay. a good Moed. And um, all right, we'll see you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Bye. Hey, Lisa. Bye. Hey. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Pleasure. Good to see you guys.